The funny thing is giving a talk to people who don't speak English, English is not their first language, it's much more difficult because you never know what they understand or what they don't understand. It gets a little rough, I guess, is the only way to put it, is trying to figure out what exactly to say. Do you know what a boomerang is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, most children know a boomerang is a flat piece of wood that can be thrown so as to return to the thrower. They used to use them for hunting. And if they miss, I guess it comes back and then they get another chance. But if they hit, then okay, they got what they got. They got dinner or lunch or breakfast or whatever, I don't know. The whole idea of something coming back to you is really what I want to talk about. In esoteric writings, there's a saying, and it's be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. That's in Luke chapter 6, verses 36 and 37. For those of you who wish to look that up or read it in context, which I suggest, I think it's always a good idea, if you want to really understand these ideas, to read whatever I'm quoting, read it in context, so that you have the whole story and not just a piece of it. And it flows better and it's easier. But for now, I just want to take this main idea and talk about this, because this is very important. Mercy a lot of people think they know what words mean, like mercy. Oh, I know what that means. Well, then you ask them, well, define it. What does it mean? Well, you know, they'll say, well, you know, mercy. And they don't really know what it means, but they think they do, but they can't really put it into words. So I take the time to look it up in the dictionary and define it so that people have a better idea of just what we're talking about, because your idea of mercy may not be my idea of mercy. In the United States, they have these t-shirts and you'll see signs everywhere that says, no mercy. And so with the competitive and sports or something, no mercy to the other side, just win at all costs. So mercy is compassion or forgiveness that's shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. You can't give mercy to somebody who is stronger than you and can harm you. You can't give them mercy because there's nothing you can do to them. But they could be merciful to you. They could be compassionate to you. For example, a dog is not going to be merciful to you, but you could be merciful to a dog. You could forgive a dog for some infraction, something that it did in the house, chewed up a rug or something. You could be merciful and compassionate. You could forgive the dog, understanding that because the dog had been locked up in the house all day, it got frustrated, or because this happened or that happened, you know, it, it, or because it wasn't properly trained, that it did something that it, you don't want it to do. You could be merciful and compassionate because you have the power to punish it or to harm it. So that's really what I'm talking about. That's what mercy is. Now the world is really full of opportunities for us to be merciful. And what makes it so full of opportunities to be merciful is people are always doing things that could harm us and that we would like to punish them for. We want to get even. We think, well, you did this to me, now I want to do that to you. So, we're really, every day gives us lots of opportunities to be merciful, to be compassionate, to be understanding, to not harm someone who's done something that we think they should be punished for. So I thought about this and I thought, well, why are so few opportunities seized? Why do so few people take the opportunity to be merciful? But a lot of people take the opportunity to be judgmental and to condemn a person for what they've done. In fact, it would be fair to say that most people take the opportunity to judge and condemn. And very few people 
take the opportunity to be merciful and compassionate. So few, in fact, that we actually call those people heroes who do that. Like you look at Buddha, he was very merciful and compassionate. You look at Gandhi, very merciful and compassionate. Jesus, merciful and compassionate. All the saints, we look at them as merciful and compassionate people who did not go an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Instead, they said, no, forgiveness is better. Compassion is better. Mercy is better. We look up to these people, but at the same time, we think that if we were like that, we would be weak. We think, well, if I forgive and if I'm merciful and compassionate, people will take advantage of me. And we think that for a good reason, because people will. But people took advantage of them. And why they are heroes to us is not because they were merciful and compassionate, but because they were merciful and compassionate the second and third and fourth and fifth times. No matter how many times people did something to them, they were still merciful and compassionate. They still forgave. Whereas we think, one time, okay. Two times, that's it. Three times, you're in trouble now, buddy. We're like that, but we know in our hearts that it would really be better to be like them. But it's so hard to do. It's very hard to do. And I think, well, there must be a reason for that. So what is it that makes us so unforgiving, so lacking in compassion, especially in the light of this esoteric admonishment that we're talking about? For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. Well, the answer is very simple. Unfortunately, the problem with us is that we consistently confuse simple with easy. The two words we get mixed up. We think, well, simple means easy. Well, no, simple does not mean easy. Let me just define them for you. Simple is plain, basic, uncomplicated in form, in nature, or in design. But simple is also used to emphasize the fundamental and straightforward nature of something. So some things, there's a fundamental and straightforward nature. A window. You can look out a window, you can open a window, hopefully, and let air in or let heat out. Or like that, you can make fresh air by opening a window. A door handle. You turn the handle and the door opens or the door closes. So a door is another simple, straightforward thing. But if you look at the lock on a door, which is very simple, you just turn the lock and it locks the door. That's its straightforward purpose. But if you look at the lock, it's not always easy to understand how it works because there may be a lot of different parts to it. So easy is achieved without great effort. That's what it means, presenting few difficulties. Easy is also having no defense, being vulnerable. So you can say of someone, well, it would be easy to take that away from them. It's like easy as taking candy from a baby because a baby is defenseless and is very vulnerable. So that is another way we use the word easy, defenseless and vulnerable. And we don't expect to find grown people. We expect a child or a dog or a cat, a kitten, to be defenseless, to be vulnerable. But we don't always expect grown people to be defenseless and vulnerable. And when they are, then we call them easy. We say, well, we could take advantage of them. So some people will look at a couple walking down the street, elderly couple walking down the street, and the lady, she's not hanging under a purse, and someone may think, well, I could steal that. And they run and they grab it because it's easy. And they steal the purse. And they know that the couple may not be able to catch them if they run away. So there's that. Now, because the simple truth is easily stated, it's very easy to say, well, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Don't judge or you'll be judged. 
Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. That's easy to say. It's straightforward, simple enough to understand. But the problem with us is just because it's simply stated doesn't follow that it's easily applied. For example, I say to you, well, it's easy with your husband. Just don't express negative emotions. Well, yeah, that's simple, but it's not easy. Because when the negative emotions come up, you have no control over them, or so little control over them, or you may not even know when you're being negative till later. You may think you're just doing exactly what you should be doing. And then later you think about it and you go, oh, why did I say that? Why can't I keep my mouth shut? Well, we all know why you can't keep your mouth shut. It's because of your brother. We always have an excuse for why we can't do something. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's always somebody's fault, but it's never our fault or rarely ever our fault. At least that's the way we see it most of the time, that it's rarely ever our fault. So we now have simple and easy, which are defined, because the simple truth is easily stated. It doesn't necessarily follow that it's easily applied. And so the greatest truth is often the truth that is the most difficult to practice, or the least practiced of all truth. Or we could say it another way, you know better, but you act worse. You know better than to do certain things, but you still do them. That's another way of saying that the simple truth is easily stated, but it's not so easily applied. We can say it, but we can't necessarily do it. And that's where this work gives us something that we can get a handle on so that we can begin to transform and begin to change how we actually do things. So we know that we should do this, but then we don't do it. And this work gives us a way to understand why it is we don't do it, why it is we can't do it, and then help us to see how we can do it. That's what separates this work, in my opinion, from all the other things that just say, oh, well, just do this. It's very easy to say. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Well, that's very nice, isn't it? Yeah, that's very nice. We like to think about that. That's nice. I think I'd like to be like that. But then you can't be like that. Well, why is it you can't be like that? Well, you can't be like that because just saying it doesn't make it happen. You've got to know something else. And the something else is what the esoteric teachings are about. That's what's hidden. The obvious thing is, it's so obvious. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Pardon and you'll be pardoned. Okay, that's obvious. But how do you do it? That's not so obvious. And that's the esoteric part, that's the hidden part, and that's the part that this work is about. So the answer to why there is so little compassion and mercy towards those to whom we have it in our power to punish or harm is very simple. And here's the answer. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Now, sure, this is a funny image. I mean, you have to think when the person who is teaching this he said, why are you so interested in a little speck in your eye when there's this big log in your eye that takes part of your whole head, you know, that's sticking in your... You don't see that, but you can see this little tiny speck in somebody else's eye. And this is the answer, although it's still kind of hidden. So why is it? This gives us a clue. Yes, I know I should be merciful. I know I should forgive. I know I shouldn't judge. I know I should pardon, but I can't do it. Well, why is it you can't do it? And this is the clue to why we can't do it. We can't do it because we see the speck that is in our brother's eye, but we don't notice the big log that's in our own eye. What makes this simple truth difficult to apply is our inability to see our time body. Now, time body is something 
you're not going to find that in the dictionary. What is a time body? If I were to ask somebody what a time body is, they would go, oh, I don't know. It's your body in time? Yeah, it's your body in time. So you've had this body for 30 years or so. And so it was your body 30 years ago when you were born. It was your body 10 years ago. We were talking just a few minutes ago about someone you knew seven or eight years ago. And then you saw this other person who you had recognized from seven or eight years ago. You went, oh, I know that person from seven or eight years ago. And it reminded you of that time and your body and who you were back then. So in a sense, that's your time body. It is the body that lives in time. So the past and the present. And actually what you don't know yet is you have that body in the future. You're going to have this body in the future. I don't know how far in the future, but by the time we're finished with this, you'll still have that body and you'll still be sitting there. It already exists in the future, but it's difficult for us to see it because we can't see the future. And you don't usually see the past unless you run into somebody like you did and you then suddenly see the past and you remember, oh, I met him here and I was with this person and he was with that person. And he did this and I did that. Now I remember. And so that's what the time body is. But the time body is more than just the physical body. It's also your psychological body. It's also the thoughts and the feelings, the emotions, the intellectual center and the emotional center, as well as the moving center. It's all the centers also that are connected with that because they too exist in the past, in the present, and in the future. This concept may be a little difficult for some people, but we've talked about it before, the whole timeline thing. If you take a string, for example, a piece of string, and you stretch it out like this on a horizontal way, and you say, this is the past, this is the future, and right here is the now. So this is where you are now, but this is where you are now, and this is where you are now, and this is where you are now. So it moves along in that direction. But the truth is, is that now is always this way. It's always vertical to this horizontal line. So now exists at every single point on this horizontal line. So now is very fat, it's very wide. It's wider than time. It's before time and it's after time. Now is that expansive. So it's always right up there. But we've got our nose so down here on this line that we're only looking to the future or looking to the past. We never look up. We're like dogs. We never look up. We're always looking down. You ever notice dogs have a hard time looking up? When the animal part of us has control of us, we've always got our nose down. We're looking down. We're not looking up. It's only when this other part of us starts to awaken a little bit, then we look up. There's something higher. There's something above us. There's something that's happening now that could change our past and our present and our future. You know, for example, that if you change something now, the way you relate to your husband, for example, you change that now, it's going to have an effect in the future. But what we don't understand is that it will also change the past. So he could be very angry with you because you did this in the past. But if you change it now, then in the future, he can't still be angry with you with the past. It just has a way of diminishing and going away. What we do now can not only change the present and the future, but it can also change the past. This is a very powerful tool in esoteric teachings and one that people need to use more. But I think they will use it more if they can understand it better, which is why we're doing this, so that people maybe can begin to understand this a little bit better, take these tools and use them in their own life to tighten things up, to change things a little bit, to get things more in harmony, so that we're acting more like what we're thinking. So we know better, but we act worse. Wouldn't it be great if we could act just like we knew? And that's what esoteric teachings are about, to try and bring those two things together. And they give us the tools to do that, 
The unfortunate thing about tools is, you'll notice your brother has some tools. And the other day I needed a tool to tighten up a handle on a frying pan to cook something. And I said, well, Mile, do you have a screwdriver? Phillips had screwdriver. He said, yes, I have that. Then he went looking and he couldn't find it. And Sashka said, he doesn't know where they are because he never uses them. But she knows where they are because she's the one who uses them. Well, you're smiling because you know, well, that's Mile. And that's true, that's Mile. He'll, yes, I know where they are, but he doesn't know because he doesn't use them. If you want to know where something is, ask the person who uses it. Like last night, you remember we were at the yoga class and the one boy said, this is my motor scooter. And you said, no, the one who's cleaning it, that's whose motor scooter it is. The one who's sitting on it, he's just lying. And you were right, it did belong to the one who was cleaning it. The one who took care of it was the one who owned it. The one who just bragged about it was the one who didn't own it. And so there you have a peek into human nature and how we are about things, how our pride and vanity overcome our wisdom and our good judgment. We have this time body. That's the thing that makes the simple truth difficult to apply. Our inability to see our time body. We are very short-sighted. We can only see right now. And rarely ever do we see the past. And if we do, we only see it in little segments. We don't see the whole past. And we don't see the future at all. We may think we do. Well, this might happen, that might happen. Yeah, and it might not. We don't know. So we fail to see the time body is full of negative judgments about other people. All of the years that you've had this time body, you've been being trained and raised to have negative judgments about other people. You learn that from all the other people in your life who have negative judgments about other people. We go to the yoga class and you say, Oh, well, that lady over there, she always says that she's at peace, but then she yells at everybody. And she doesn't see that about herself. Why doesn't she see that about herself? She doesn't see that about herself because she has a picture of herself as this sweet, calm, wonderful person. And the only time she would ever yell at anybody, she would do it in a very nice way, just to explain to them that what they were doing was not right. She doesn't see herself from the outside. She can't see her time body, in other words. All she can see is her picture of herself. And so that's what makes her blind to her time body. Or another way of saying it is, how can you even see the speck in your brother's eye with this big log in your own eye? It makes it impossible for you to see anything clearly because you have this big log in your eye. Well, you know that if you had a log in your eye, you couldn't see the speck in your brother's eye. So maybe you're not seeing the speck in your brother's eye. Maybe you're really just seeing something in your own eye but it looks like a speck to you because you're so close to it. I don't know why, but maybe that's it. So we don't see that this time body is just full of negative judgments about others. And often it's very intolerant and touchy as a result. For example, the woman at yoga, I was there when, before you got there and I was waiting outside and I knew who she was right away. So the first thing she did, she walked up the steps, she stopped when all the kids were playing and she started to point her finger and tell them, you have to be quiet. You should do this. You should do that. And as you said, she does that every week. And so that's how I knew who it was. When I saw the woman who came up and started to point her finger and yell at the kids, I knew that was the woman you were talking about. I knew that that's her habit pattern. That's what she does because she doesn't see her time body, because she doesn't see who she is. She doesn't see what she's like. She only sees what she thinks she's like, what she imagines that she's like. In other words, she only sees her imaginary eye. Now, when we're touchy as a result of being intolerant, that time body makes us judge other people freely, just as if we had the right to do so. 
What gives us the right to say that this person is right or wrong, good or bad? What gives us the right? No one has ever come to us and said, you have that right. What you do have the right is not to be negative. You have the right not to be negative. And how often do you exercise that right? Not nearly as often as you exercise your not given right to judge other people. So we have not been given the right to judge others. In fact, we're told not to judge others. That's not a right that we have. That's a right that belongs to something higher than us. But we still want to do it. And yet, we have the right not to be negative, but we don't want to exercise that right. And even when we do want to exercise that right, we find it nearly impossible. And that's because our time body is so full of negative judgments about others. And that's why we find it impossible or very difficult. So our narrow perspective based in self-love and self-righteousness is due to our inner blindness, our inability to see our own time body. So this is the answer. Why is it that we know better and act worse? Because we're blind to our time body. We cannot see how much we judge other people. Esoteric teachings instruct us that when we judge another person, we have to try to find what is wrong with us, not them. This is a very difficult thing to do because we're not accustomed to finding anything wrong with ourselves. We're accustomed to finding things wrong with other people. And when we do find things wrong with ourselves, we identify with them, we feel bad, and then we stop doing it because we don't want to feel badly anymore. So we don't want to look at it anymore. We hide our heads in the sand, as it were. So what can stop you dead in the tracks of your ordinary mechanical judgment faster than seeing that we're projecting what we don't see in ourselves onto others? For example, you look and you were talking about the woman who acts all calm, but she's really angry. And then you left and you said, I'm just like that. I'm seeing myself in her. That stops you from judging her suddenly. You think, well, what do I know? Because I'm just like that. And that is exactly what this work is about. It gives you that tool so that you can suddenly see. And then all of a sudden you stop judging because you see, well, <laughs> I'm like that too. And you kind of laugh and you think, well, maybe I shouldn't be talking about her. Maybe I should just be working on myself. This is the power of this work, that it gives you these tools that you can use. So you can start stopping the judgment, the mechanical, ordinary judgment that we have every day without even thinking. It just goes, goes, goes. And then start to look at ourselves and, oh, I think I'll stop that for now. Ordinary life gives us no way of seeing what we're like inside. You see a mirror, but that only shows you what you're like on the outside, and it only shows you pretty much one side. You don't see the whole of it. You don't know if you have something on your back or if there's something. You need another mirror for that. You can't see the back of your head when you look in a mirror because you don't have eyes in the back of your head. So you have to put a mirror back there. And then you look in this mirror and you look at that mirror and maybe you see and maybe you don't if you move it around. But then it's all backwards and confusing, so who knows? So in ordinary life, we don't have any way of seeing what we're like inside. Morris Nichols said, We won't accept that we are liars, so we project our lying onto others and accuse them of being liars. This is the root of our judgment of others. This is what makes judgment of others possible. We see the speck in our brother's eye, but we don't notice the log in our own eye because our first education provides us with no insight, no ability to see into ourselves. So we have no insight. We only have outsight. We can only look out and see what's there. And that's our first education. And it's given us that in spades. We have a full deck of that. We're all very well equipped with that, our first education. But the second education, that's the education that esoteric teachings begin with us. And they show us how to look inside. We think others are full of the very faults that we fail to recognize in ourselves. And the people who scream the loudest are the ones who fail to recognize the most what is in them. They're always the ones that scream the loudest. 
So the woman who comes and yells at all of the kids, she's adding to all of the confusion, she's adding to all of the yelling, and of course the kids find this hilarious. Here's this grown woman acting like a monkey now, screaming and yelling and waving her hands, and they feel all this power, and they feel like, well, she's just as bad as us. Why should we listen to her? And she's added to all the confusion and added to all the noise instead of doing what she wants, which is to calm it down. And the way to calm it down is to simply move away from it and not add to it. Eventually, if you stop feeding the children, if you stop feeding the monkeys, eventually they may be able to calm down some. If not, you're still not adding your energy to it. You're taking your energy somewhere else and putting it to something useful. Or as you said the other day, these people who are negative, they could be using that energy for something positive. They could be learning a language. They could be reading a book. They could be meditating. They could be doing so many things that would be beneficial not only to themselves, but to their families, to their friends, and to the world. But instead, they're wasting it all in negative emotions and judgment. That was a very good observation. Unfortunately, it's an observation that we can only see about others and we rarely see about ourselves. But esoteric teachings show us how to see it about ourselves. And one of the things that we do now that we know the root of our judgment is that we can't see ourselves, we have no insight, we think that others are full of what we can't recognize in ourselves, what we fail to recognize in ourselves, what sometimes we won't recognize in ourselves. And because we're very clever, we will acknowledge some fault in ourselves, imagining this gives us the right to judge it in another person. Well, someone said to me one time, well, I can admit that I'm a liar. Can you admit that you're a liar? Well. Yes, I can admit that I'm a liar. Can you admit that you have no intention of stopping lying? Can you admit that the only reason that you're telling me that you're a liar now is so that I'll admit that I'm a liar so that you can judge me for it? Will you admit that? Well, that's not what I'm doing. Okay, so you won't admit that. And that's the difference between people who wish to work and people who wish to be right. But I can promise you this. If you want to be right, you cannot do this work. The only way that this work can be done is if you're willing to be wrong. Because if you're right all the time, what do you need to change? What transformation is possible for someone who's always right? The transformation is only possible to people who can see that they're wrong. If you can see that you're wrong, then transformation is possible. And being wrong is not something you advertise. It's no great virtue to go around telling everybody, oh, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. In fact, it's just the opposite. It really works for false personality because it becomes very pretentious. Oh, I'm wrong. Oh, no, I know I don't know everything. Right. You don't know everything. That's why you act like you know everything. That's why you tell everybody else what they should do because you don't know everything. So we fool ourselves with all this nonsense because we're very clever. We think we're very clever anyway. Now, if you've worked on proper self-observation for some time, you're going to know beyond any doubt that you are much worse than anyone else you're inclined to judge. So you find somebody and you go, well, you know, they're really not so bad. I've done a lot worse. People think, well, then why don't you tell everybody? Well, because that's not what it's for. We're not here to tell everybody about our work. You're here to keep your work inside of yourself, to do the work yourself. It's not up to you to go confess to other people everything you find inside of yourself. Just look at it. Just bring it into the light and just let the light heal it because it's not going to stay there forever if the light touches it. Sooner or later, the light is going to cleanse it, purify it, and put it in its proper place. That's what this work is about, having things put in their proper place, purifying our emotional center of negative emotions so that we make room for positive emotions or real emotions that can come from higher centers and that can fill us with their influence. So we'll acknowledge, yes, okay, I've got this fault. 
But when we start telling other people about it, then it goes into false personality. So we really need to be mindful of that, to watch that. As I said before, if you've worked on proper self-observation for some time, you're going to know beyond any doubt that you're worse than anyone else that you're inclined to judge. How can I prove that? Well, your judgment is proof of that. If you're judging someone else, it's proof that you haven't been working on yourself because if you have truly been working on yourself, you will be merciful, just as your father is merciful. You will not judge because you know that you'll be judged. You will not condemn because you know that you'll be condemned. And you will pardon because you know that you have a lot to be pardoned for. You've done a lot that needs pardoning. So when you start to see yourself, when you start to really observe yourself properly, the way esoteric teachings teach you to do it, then suddenly you find that you are unable to judge. And if you do judge, you stop it almost instantly because you know that your judgment is proof that you're not looking at yourself. Because judge not sounds so simple, we fail to see how truly profound it is. It's very, very deep. There are unplumbed depths behind it, things that we simply do not see just when we look on the surface of it. It sounds so easy. Oh yeah, don't judge. Well, I don't judge, but we don't see the depth of it. Now this time body of ours needs purification because while it has passed through time, it's collected so much dirt and grime, making it impossible for it to work properly. In the same way that if you took a fine watch and you filled it with sand, it wouldn't work anymore. The gears would all stop. So this whole boomerang effect, that as you judge, you are judged. As you measure, so if you measure someone harshly, a harsh judgment, and you give them a lot of punishment or a lot of pain for it, then that's going to come back to you. That's the boomerang effect that I'm talking about. But it works two ways. It's not just a bad thing. It also works that if you pardon people, then you will be pardoned. If you're merciful to people, then you will receive mercy. Will you receive mercy from the people that you give mercy to? No, very often you will not. But you will receive mercy from above. And believe me, that's a lot better mercy than receiving it from here. What you receive from here is transitory. What you receive from above stays with you forever. Every conscious act belongs to you and is kept for you until you can use it. The miracle of esoteric teachings, what sets them apart from ordinary teachings based on the five senses, is the fact that you can alter your time body in any place through consciousness. Seeing the fault lies in yourself means an increase in consciousness. If you never see that the fault lies in you, you will never increase your consciousness. You're always going to stay exactly the same. Don't be clever like the old Russian to whom a wish was granted by God. So God offered this, he came to this Russian, and he offered him a gift. He said, look, I will give you anything that you ask for. It doesn't matter what it is. There'll only be one condition on this, and that is, whatever you request, I'm going to give twice that to your neighbor. Well, what do you suppose the old Russian's wish was? That he would have a million dollars, or ten million dollars, or that he would have a, a healthy happy child, or that his wife would be healed, or that he would find a wife, or that he would get rid of his wife, or whatever old Russians wish for, I don't know. The story goes that he said, okay, to God, then I know what I want after he thought about it. And God said, fine, what is it that you want? He said, you can remove one of my eyes, which of course means that he would remove two, both of his neighbor's eyes. And so the old Russian would have sight in one eye, while his neighbor had sight in no eyes. So that would give the old Russian the advantage. And this is what this means. Don't be clever like the old Russian. Don't try to make your progress built on someone else's misfortune. If you do that, 
then you're judging, you're being merciless, you're being all the things that you don't really need to be if you wish to develop. If you don't wish to develop, fine, be like the old Russian. It doesn't matter then. If you think that you're fine now, there's no fault in you, then you're not going to increase your consciousness. Nothing is going to change. Your life is going to stay exactly the way it is and you're going to continue to blame it on other people and never see that it is you yourself who is causing your own problems. Ah, and what do people do with this? As soon as you tell someone, it's you yourself that are causing your own problems. What do they say? They say, well, that means you're, you're causing your own problems too, right? So it's not really my fault. Just because I'm being mean to you, it's not my fault. You're the one who's causing it. You attracted this. Your level of being attracted this. So it's really your fault. And that's what we do with this. Which, of course, goes back to rule number one, which is be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. This is the rule that we're supposed to be applying. Not the rule of, oh, well then you must be the one who's attracting that. So it's not my fault at all. It's really your fault. So there we are back to the same thing. If you can't see that the fault lies in yourself, you cannot increase your consciousness. If you cannot increase your consciousness, you cannot increase your level of being. If you cannot increase your level of being, you cannot reach transformation. You cannot do what this work requires of you in order to be a new creature, a new being. Now, I will read you one more bit from Esoteric Writings. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. If you have no right to judge, and I promise you, you have no right to judge according to esoteric teachings. That is not a right that has been given to you. You have the right not to be negative. You have the right to transform your being. You have the right to raise your level of consciousness. But you do not have the right to judge others. If you had understood that, you would not have condemned the innocent. Who are the innocent? And that, incidentally, that's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. Who are the innocent? Well, I'll tell you who the innocent are. Whoever you're judging. Whoever it is that you're judging. I don't care who it is. If you're judging Hitler, Hitler is innocent. You're the one that's guilty. You are guilty of judging. Hitler, what he is guilty of, that's none of your business. That is between Hitler and his creator. You do not have the right to judge him. So, the innocent are those that you are judging. Now I will tell you that every act of consciousness can alter not only the future but the past. Your time body is a living thing. It's very sensitive to what you are doing now. If your path is not bringing you closer to compassion and mercy, you're going in the wrong direction on that path. There is one path for you. You're either going toward compassion and mercy and conscious love, or you're going away from it. If you're going away from it, and your goal is to go toward it, then you're going in the wrong direction. So there is a right and wrong, and it's based on what your goal is. If you wish to be the most negative, nasty, hateful person on earth, then, if you're not being compassionate and merciful, and if you're being judgmental, then you're going in the right direction. So, it depends on what your goal is. If you wish to be more compassionate, if you wish to be more merciful, if you wish to develop conscious love, if you wish to transform yourself away from this animal being into a higher order of being, the new man, as the work talks about. If you wish to be the new man, then you need to move in the direction of compassion, mercy, and conscious love. You need to turn around from the outside and face inward. You need to unleash your judgment there, inside of yourself, and save yourself from being judged by your judgments of others. Because it is true that with whatever measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. And if you want to save yourself 
from all of the measuring that you did on other people, then I suggest that right now you turn back in on yourself and start to judge your faults there and start to let the light of consciousness fall on them. You don't have to do anything about them except allow the light to show them for what they are to you. And that light will begin to heal you. That's your job. You light up and stand.